Welcome to the very first episode of Take It or Leave It, a leave of absence and accommodations podcast where we tackle all things related to leave of absence management and accommodation. I'm your co-host, Jeff Seidman, and I'm so honored to be joined today by my colleague and good friend, Meg Toth, for the very first episode of our new podcast. Meg, did you ever imagine as a lawyer that you'd be hosting a podcast? I can't say that I did, but I'm super excited, really letting my inner nerd shine here, about using this platform to discuss all the exciting and super quickly moving topics in the leads and accommodation space. I guess the only thing better might be hosting a true crime podcast, maybe with Selena Gomez, Steve Martin, and Martin Short, if you've ever seen uh, Only Murders in the Building. But you were my close second choice for a co-host. <laughs> uh, totally, <laughs> totally, totally understandable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm more of a Dexter fan myself, but I've, I've heard Murders in the Building was great. Going to check it out as soon as I can. And, you know, honestly, I, I think these and accommodations are almost as exciting as true crime. Seriously, there's mystery. You know, we never know where the next mandate's going to pop up. Some suspenseful, sleepless nights trying to figure out how to comply with the patchwork of more than 60 state and local paid sick leave laws, paid family leave laws, other complex accommodations issues. And if you're looking for plot twists, I mean, come on, who knew how much fun COVID was going to make these and accommodations over the last 18 months? Yeah, definitely. No, I, I don't know if fun is the word I would use to describe it. But I, I think everyone can agree that COVID has definitely complicated the leaves in the accommodations world, or in your words, made it more fun. Also, yeah, Congress more, more hasn't really complicated helped us. Fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> complicated fun. Sure. Congress also hasn't helped us out either. As you know, I'm sure everyone has seen, they've been teasing us for months about a possible federal paid family and medical leave mandate. You know, pointing to the pandemic as one of the justifications for the potential mandate. But we are here, still waiting, trying to see what's going to happen on the federal level as well. Yeah, and we may be doing a lot more waiting until we know whether or not Congress is going to leave, well, paid leave, I suppose, in the budget reconciliation package. You know, as Congress is busy spinning its wheels, I think it's important for our listeners to remember that there are dozens of states, localities that have taken matters into their own hands, not only with non-COVID paid leave mandates, but also having issued COVID paid leave laws or other administrative guidance that cover different types of COVID-related absences. Things like testing positive for COVID, quarantining or isolating because you may have been exposed, having COVID symptoms, caring for family members who are dealing with COVID or might have symptoms, getting booster shots or getting the vaccine, school daycare closures, you kind of name it. You know, the list goes on and on of these potentially covered absences. Yeah, so right. And, and speaking of COVID vaccines, the new OSHA temporary standard or the ETS that was published early November and then the subsequent legal challenges is the latest shock that we're all seeing in the leads and accommodations world. For many reasons, it certainly has left employers around the, the country scrambling to figure out how to comply while also not having much certainty in terms of the actual compliance deadlines and especially in the wake of the legal challenges. So many employers are having a hard time deciding whether to just do what the ETS requires and implement a soft mandate, meaning allow anyone who's unvaccinated to test versus implementing a hard mandate and only allowing testing for people who may qualify for a religious or a medical exemption. It's really quite yeah, challenging. No, you're, no you're, you're exactly right. And, and, and I'll say, though, I, I think we can agree on, on one thing, that is you know, employers are going to be dealing with and really have been dealing with, you know, regardless of what type of mandate they implement, it is an influx of religious and medical accommodation requests, especially for companies that go the hard mandate route. 
which happens to be a great segue for jumping into the main topic of, of today's episode. Completely agree. For those of you out there listening, as you've probably gathered by the title of this episode, we are jumping right in with one of the hottest topics in the accommodation space, or really in the employment space right now, religious accommodations for the COVID-19 vaccine. Workplace vaccine mandates have led to a significant increase in the number of employers already starting to require employees to be vaccinated. And with that, a significant number of religious accommodation requests. And we are so very lucky to have with us today one of our firm's top religious accommodations experts, Dawn Soloway. Dawn is the senior counsel in our Boston office. She has extensive knowledge and skill in helping clients navigate requests for religious accommodation, such as requests for time off for Sabbath observance, prayer breaks, or modification of work uniforms for religious reasons. Dawn helps employers understand the legal framework and partners with them to consider accommodation options and challenges and to respond effectively to accommodation requests. She's a frequently published author on the hot-button topic of religious accommodation discrimination. She's been litigating and counseling employers on religious accommodations for more than 13 years, well before the COVID-19 vaccine catapulted religious accommodations to the top of almost every employer's to-do list. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, really the big thanks is to you for joining us because we know how incredibly busy Amen. you are right now. <laughs> uh, we'd love to start out hearing sort of a bit more about your background and experience with religious accommodations in the workplace, including the work you've been doing with clients on religious accommodations for the COVID-19 vaccines, if you would indulge us. Sure, absolutely. So I've been practicing labor and employment law for many years. And I first became involved in religious accommodation back in, I think it was 2007 or 2008, when we were defending a case that was brought by an employee who claimed that the company, a retailer, had violated Title VII by failing to accommodate her request for Sundays off. That case went to a jury trial, and we ultimately won a complete defense verdict. And really, ever since then, I've been advising clients and colleagues throughout the firm on religious accommodation issues. Um, never quite so much as I am right now, however. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And, and Dawn, it sounds like you've had you know, a lot of experience advising on litigating these religious accommodation issues before they became this new trendy hot topic. But besides making you incredibly busy over the last handful of months, how have you seen this influx sort of change and impact your practice? That's a good question. So, you know, certainly religious accommodation for many employers was a topic that would pop up every once in a while. So an employee might ask for time off for a religious observance or a holiday, or they might want to modify the work uniform to wear a, a yarmulke or a hijab. They might want time or space to take prayer breaks. And so many HR professionals and in-house lawyers had some familiarity with this area because the questions would pop up now and then, but it just didn't arise for, for many of them all that often. And what's new with COVID is the incredibly high volume of requests for religious accommodation, and namely requests for exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine requirements. And of course, suddenly religious accommodation is front page news. Yeah, absolutely. Or even like a topic for social conversation. I even have been asked many times by friends and, and family who may not even have known what a religious accommodation was before about them. This is very true. Uh, so are employers now thinking of handling or thinking about religious accommodations differently than they may have been before the last year or pre-COVID? Yes, I think there are many new challenges for employers in managing requests for religious exemptions from the COVID vaccine. 
The first is volume. Uh, many, many of our clients are receiving hundreds or thousands, if not many thousands of requests. That is, is certainly a new phenomenon. The second is that many of those requests are, are downloaded or purchased or cut and pasted from forms that are available online. And that raises some novel legal questions as well as some novel practical questions. And I would also say that there's a lot of intense emotion around these requests um, and views about the vaccine. There's also a lot of secular misinformation that's available online that fuels some of those intense emotions. And of course, all of this is against the backdrop of a global pandemic that has cost a lot of lives and continues to rage around us, especially with the Delta variant. All of this can converge to create a lot of new challenges for employers. No, absolutely, Dawn. And, and I know the first time I heard about the volume of some of these requests from just a single employer, you know, hitting the hundreds, if not thousands, I mean, I, I was totally blown away by it. And I'm sure you were on the ground dealing with you know, this day to day really is, is sort of astounding from my perspective, how many requests some companies are seeing. We have clients who have, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 of these mm -hmm. to manage, wow. often in a very wow. short space of time. And so it's quite the logistical challenge. I'm sure. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, astounding. It's, and sort of to that, to that end, right, we understand you've been helping employers, you know, all sizes, all types, go through the process of dealing with these religious accommodations. Now, I understand, you know, it may depend on company size, type of workforce, industry, infrastructure capability, you know, their capabilities, funding, I mean, so many different factors. But at a sort of global level, high level, how are companies handling these volume of requests? Or at least how, how should they be from your perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. At Cypherth, we really customize our approach to the client's needs. So some small employers may just have a few. They might have 10 or 20 requests, and they might just want some advice about what does the law say? How do you go about these? Some may want a recommendation from us, want us to actually look at the request and make a recommendation about whether to allow it or deny it or whether to go back to the employee for more information. On the other end of the spectrum, there are clients with a very large volume of requests who just don't have the expertise or the capacity in-house, whether that's in HR or in their in-house legal department. And so they have come to us to help them develop and implement a process and to conduct the review. And some clients will ask us to run the entire process from the intake of the request straight from the employee all the way through to a recommendation on a decision on each request. And that's something that we're doing for many clients, even as we record this today. And our vaccine team has developed a sophisticated process map and toolkit to put into practice some of the best practices in managing these requests from the beginning all the way to the end of the process. And we very much customize that for each client and its particular needs, its particular workforce, its particular industry, and, and those kinds of factors. Wow, that's uh, amazing. I mean, it sounds like a lot of hard work must have gone into that process mapping, but it's surely probably been worth it to, to help out all these clients with these hundreds of requests. Quite amazing. Since it sounds like the processes are highly customized for each employer, have you, you know, can you talk about the different approaches you're seeing in the way that uh, religious accommodations may be scrutinized? You know, have you noticed any trends with either shifts towards allowing fewer exceptions, meaning, you know, more high, highly scrutinized, or maybe employers implementing more of a lower bar and, you know, not scrutinizing them as much? And how has this changed over time or evolved since we've seen these mandates? 
Yeah, those are all great questions. We always start with the legal framework, uh, which is actually very well developed in the EEOC guidance and the case law to make sure that the employer is aware of what the appropriate legal standards are under Title VII, under any state or local laws that may apply. And then within that basic framework of, of what's legally compliant, employers will have a pretty broad range of approaches. For example, the law of religious accommodation contemplates an interactive process between the employer and the employee. And that can be really challenging, especially where the employer faces a very high volume of requests and at the same time may have pretty tight deadlines for vaccination under its vaccine policy or under the relevant legal requirements around vaccination. So employers will have a range of approaches as to how to conduct that interactive process. So sometimes it will be a written process where the employee submits a request form and then any follow-up questions are asked and answered in writing. Or sometimes that will look like a process that includes verbal conversations between uh, HR and the employee and that are then documented as part of the process. And there are pros and cons of both of those approaches that we will talk with clients. And employers will also have a range of approaches as to what follow-up questions it's comfortable asking employees about their requests and how to handle requests that are fully downloaded or purchased online or that contain information that's cut and pasted from online sources. There's not a lot of case law about that specific issue. And so that will be kind of a customized decision that the employer will make with guidance from us. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's really also fascinating, Dawn. And, and let, let me ask you this to piggyback on, on some of those last points. I totally understand you don't have a you know, crystal ball or anything like that. I mean, um, unless you do, in, in which case we should probably pause our recording and go talk <laughs> offline for a minute or so. Um, but, but assuming you don't, then do you think that, you know, this, this spike that we're seeing in religious accommodation requests, the ways, you know, the different approaches employers are handling those requests, does that have the potential to sort of impact and change the, the body of case law on religious accommodations under Title VII, you know, over the next handful of, of years? Yeah, that's a great question. And I talk about this with clients a lot. I think it's important to recognize that in some ways, the same law on religious accommodations under Title VII is still relevant and still very much the framework for requests for exemption from the vaccine. And so it's really important for anyone who's conducting these reviews to stay really firmly anchored in that very well-established legal framework. But there have already been challenges to the way that employers have dealt with COVID vaccine exemptions. And there's no doubt that the decisions that flow out of those cases will shed more light on the particular challenges of the COVID era. Some of those very early decisions have have already issued, and we eagerly await each one and pour over it as soon as they issue because there has been very little guidance available on the specific COVID issues. But those cases will decide, you know, things like what does undue hardship look like against the backdrop of a highly contagious disease, global pandemic? You know, what does a a reasonable interactive process look like when there's a huge volume of requests and then a really short window of time to review them because there are health and safety reasons that employers are, are eager to get their workforces vaccinated? And then also some really unique questions about what is a reasonable approach to what's sincere, what's religious as opposed to political or secular, and what's actually 
a religious conflict with the COVID vaccine specifically. So those are all things that we're eagerly awaiting more case law guidance on. The EEOC has published some updated guidance that speaks to some of these issues, and that's been helpful. And presumably the EEOC will have more to say in the future about some of these things. But yeah, it's very much a developing area, and it changes almost by the hour at this point. I'm sure everybody's eager to start seeing more of those decisions, lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Maybe helping them sort of provide some assurances in terms of what they're doing, maybe right or wrong. And, you know, all of these issues are just so difficult for people to be navigating through. So very interesting time to be in this space. So to that point, it sounds like, you know, all of these issues and the processes are challenging. But if you could pick probably the most difficult issues that our employers are facing, what, what would you say is the most difficult issues? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say which is the most difficult because there are so many kind of intersecting challenges. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is is how to design that interactive process, like I talked about before. Another is how to assess what is a sincere religious belief in light of the current climate. So, in general, pre-COVID, the EEOC guidance and the case law said that generally the employer should assume the sincerity of an employee's religious belief. And that's because religious beliefs are very personal and courts and agencies and juries tend to be very reluctant to want to question the sincerity of someone else's religious belief. But it's also true that many of the requests that employers are seeing are downloaded or or purchased online. Uh, Many contain a lot of secular or political rhetoric, um, anti-vaccination rhetoric in general. Many contain a lot of misinformation about things like the ingredients in the vaccine or the safety or efficacy of the vaccine, or employers see a lot of conspiracy theories that people may have picked up online. And so it's challenging to assess what is sincere, what is religious, what is a true conflict with vaccination. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, there is objective evidence that a request may not be sincere. And under the law, again, pre-COVID, the existing law, that's grounds to return to the employee to get more information. And then the question is, what is a reasonable way to go about asking for more information in this very sensitive area of people's religious beliefs? Wow. Those are definitely some interesting and and challenging legal issues that, that we're navigating. And how about from a processing standpoint? I mean, it, the process sounds challenging itself, but can you think of sort of the biggest challenge you think people are facing in terms of processing these requests? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think one major challenge for developing and implementing a process, especially when there's a large volume of requests, is how to make sure that on one hand, each and every request gets a thoughtful, careful, individualized review because every single one of these requests is different, but also at the same time, making sure that the process is applied consistently across many employees. And at SciFarth, we've given a lot of thought about how to achieve both of those goals um, in terms of, of how we build out the process, 
how we train our review teams, how we make sure that there is a system for a request to get a second or even third level of review, if if that makes sense for that particular request, and also how we standardize the process for consistency to try to make sure that every employee is getting kind of the same fair process consistently across the board, even if that is across thousands or, or hundreds of requests. And, you know, I would just say that I'm really proud of what we've built at Cypress because this has all happened just in the last couple of months. And, you know, as mandates have become more widespread and our team has a lot of people giving a lot of thought to how to best do this. And we've really, we've built out a, a totally customizable process for these exemption reviews, no matter how many requests the employer is facing. We've got very highly trained review teams. Um, a lot of thought leaders in the, in the firm have, have kind of put their minds together to think creatively and proactively about how to design a process that is fully legally compliant and with all these intersecting laws, but also practical because it, it has to be practical for the employer at the end of the day. And it's just been really gratifying to help clients who were understandably kind of shell-shocked at the number of requests that they had to process in a short amount of time and to really be able to just partner with clients to provide a process that follows the law and is fair and balanced, individualized, but consistent, and also at the end of the day, empathetic to employees on a really hot button sensitive issue that, you know, can be really challenging. I completely agree, Dawn. It's been, I mean, nothing short of amazing watching you, our, our SciFar team, rise to meet this latest challenge for our clients, find unique ways to mixed legal compliance with day-to-day practical administration. I mean, that's no no easy feat. How do you guys, from sort of a technology standpoint, handle this influx of, of such a large volume of requests for accommodations? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's actually been really cool to work with our vaccine team and also our tech team to create kind of tech solutions to help drive the process. So we have a number of different tools available, but I'll just mention one as an example. We have kind of a web interface that we can provide for clients where they can go in and see a dashboard and they can see the overall number of requests. They can see what status, so where in the process requests are generally. So X requests are in this status or that status, waiting for a decision or in some other status. And they can also look at any individual request just by kind of a drop down and, and looking employee by employee. They can see what business unit the various requests are coming from and who the HR person is that's responsible for that area, how many decisions have gone out to employees. So really kind of 24-7 at at any moment, the client can, can log in or our team can log in and kind of work within this web interface. And I think, you know, for clients who are dealing with, in particular, high volumes of requests, being able to at any time kind of see exactly where the process is has been really great and a really great communication tool, um, not only for our teams, but also you know, with the client. And to turn anything that involves a few dozen requests, let alone a few thousand, or like you said, maybe 10,000 or more into something digestible where, where the client can step in and feel like they, they have a, a sense of where things are in the process is truly spectacular. You know, like I said, uh, unbelievable work by you and the whole team. Let me ask you this one. You know, assuming that some employees will have a sincere religious belief that prevents them from getting you know, vaccinated, 
What types of reasonable accommodations are being considered by employers on the ground? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and absolutely, there are some employees who will have a sincere religious belief that conflicts with the COVID vaccine requirement. And the accommodations that are considered vary tremendously by employer and also by the nature of that particular employee's work duties and kind of the work environment. So, for example, the accommodations might be impacted by what type of vaccine policy the employer has, whether they're a federal contractor, what state laws might be at play, those change by the day, what the work setting is like, you know, what the the job duties of the employee are. So just as an example, some employers might be able to accommodate an unvaccinated employee working fully remotely if they never have to come into the workplace, but others really can't do that without an undue hardship because of the nature of the work or the nature of what that particular employee does. You know, some workplaces just naturally allow for some amount of social distancing and for others, that's just not practical at all. So those are really kind of case-by-case considerations that we work with employers to figure out based on their particular setting. Very interesting. One question related to what you just mentioned in terms of, you know, accommodations may vary depending on what the vaccination requirement is. Are we seeing like accommodation requests for soft vaccine mandates, meaning are employees requesting accommodations from both being vaccinated and testing? And and what do those look like? Yes. So some employees are requesting exemption from both the vaccine and from masking and from testing. There's actually a common form available online that requests an exemption from all three. And so that's the form that we've seen many, many, many times in in various formats. And so whether that is feasible to accommodate is going to depend a lot on the employer. It's obviously pretty challenging in, in many settings to accommodate an exemption to all three of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, so many moving pieces, you know, Dawn, to, to deal with. I mean, just with a handful of these requests. Have you seen any situations where an unvaccinated employee simply cannot be reasonably accommodated? Has that come up at all in, in your practice thus far? Yes, absolutely. There will be some employees who request to remain unvaccinated but need to be in person, and that just may not be possible. That may not be reasonable in in that work setting. It, It may impose an undue hardship. So, for example, the employee might have to travel to clients or customers who won't allow any unvaccinated person to work on site regardless of whether they have an exemption from the employer. And so in that kind of case, an accommodation just may not be possible. The employee might have to work in you know, close contact with other staff. They might have to be patient-facing in a, in a healthcare setting. You know, salesperson might need to travel to visit clients in person. Again, it's a very individualized assessment that depends a lot on, on the particular employer and the role of that employee as well. Well, that was very, very interesting. I think that sort of brings us to the end of our discussion for this episode. Don, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. Thanks so much, Don. Re- really amazing having you today. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be here. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this first episode and that you will tune in for our next episode where we will have a discussion with another one of our expert colleagues about medical accommodations for COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Thanks so much.